0: This is Apotheosis, the second podcast from the crew at CodePunk, where we talk about cyberspace, cyberculture, and cyberpunk. You can go to codepunk.io to read our articles and also check out our other podcast, the self-titled CodePunk podcast hosted by myself and co-host Bill Ahern. You can also find that podcast in your favorite podcast application, as well as on YouTube, since all recent episodes are recorded in virtual reality. If you follow me at all on Twitter, you might have noticed that I've been retweeting and promoting James Curcio's Tales from When I Had a Face Kickstarter. James and I have been acquaintances since probably the early aughts at a time when internet communities were transitioning to the World Wide Web, but still remain niche rather than tied to any specific domain of social media. Many my age still remember the years of personal bulletin board systems when the internet was young and more explicitly tied to the telecoms. Eventually, cyberspace emerged as a collection of protocols with BBS, IRC chat channels, and Usenet newsgroups filling out additional communication channels. I remember following newly created Usenet newsgroups dedicated to the very first sci-fi channel, Original Programming, long before it became whatever SIFI is supposed to stand for. In many ways, BBS and eventually Usenet were areas of dedicated fan groups and consolidated discussions all tied together by whichever internet moniker or handle you decided to use. In Edward Snowden's memoir, Permanent Record, he reminisces of the days of internet handles and the ability to be one person on one side of a conversation, but also experiment by being the other person on the other side of the conversation. This wasn't the same as anonymous internet trolls. A name is a name, but a name that you give yourself holds powers. This is why many modern occult groups or secret societies have you choose a new name for yourself upon initiation. It's not a name that you hide behind. It's a name to stand behind but at the same time this doesn't mean that your self or your persona is static much like snowden in his early years exploring bbs systems you could try on many faces as the world wide web started to evolve more as the primary tool of the internet for better or ill Online communities emerged to replace BBS, Usenet, and even IRC to a certain extent, although you can still find some many active IRC channels today. Some will remember the emergence of the well, Stuart Brand's oddly titled Whole Earth Electronic Link. We come up with the acronym first and then retrofit it, I guess, which housed Members such as John Perry Barlow, and gain infamy through the transgressions of members such as MOD. Bill and I actually discussed this in a past Code Punk episode. Other niche message boards started to gain ground as well, and during the turn of the 2000s, with the publication of Grant Morrison's The Invisibles, the bomb surfaced as an online resource for those interested in Morrison's intelligently weaved multi dimensional story. Morrison himself looked at the narrative not as a tale of fiction, but a hypersigil, an occult construct of will, no different than what most modern writers feel when approaching stories of a mythical narrative. With myth, I'm reminded of Puck from Neil Gaiman's Sandman, where he adapted a rapt narrative of a Midsummer's Night Dream. Puck exclaimed with some exuberance that the tale was all true. Quote, It never happened, but it's all true. Truth emotes from mythology because mythology is a living narrative that exists outside the boundaries of culture and time. Mythology is to narrative what Carl Jung's archetypes are to gods and demons or characters within stories. This is precisely why Joseph Campbell made waves with Hero of a Thousand Faces. This idea that the stories we tell that transcend fiction are ones that encompass common motifs and archetypes. Campbell has even made statements that closely align with Gaiman's own written words. In fact, Campbell can be quoted as saying, Myth is much more important and true than history. History is just journalism. And you know how reliable that is. The bomb spawned an online community named Barbalith that grew in popularity in underground circles. This was at a time when individual websites, weblogs, and message boards often gathered significant readership pre-social media. Many who participated in Barbalith also had their own blogs writing about similar themes. Technical, although sharing the same name as a Morrison creation, was not actually based on it. It was a fringe website created by future Wired writer Clint Finley. Many participants on Barbelith also lurked in the technical comments. It was through technical that I became associated with Clint and several other internet denizens. During a break from vacation, Clint asked me and writer Wes Unruh to substitute for him on the blog. After Clint returned, several on the site suggested that those of us writing about common themes create a group blog, reminiscent of a musical supergroup, a mashup of multiple bloggers working together on a single publication. Clint West, former Adobe employee and future Institute for the Future contributor Chris Arkenberg, robotics engineer Chris Joseph, Leipo Barreau, and myself then founded Key23 also based on a Grant Morrison concept. He was big at the time. The story of Key 23 as an internet community is a long and winding and intriguing one, and I don't want to get ahead of myself by going into it here just yet. I am trying to retain some form of linear or time-based narrative with these nostalgic pieces of apotheosis. And Key 23 comes much later than BBS or Usenet News. But what's important is that Key 23 burned bright, but also burned fast. We interviewed the likes of Richard Metzger, Michelle Bellinger, and Douglas Rushkoff. We acquired many more contributors, including then socialist but future egoist and alt right agitator Nick Pell, writer, director, actor John Harrigan, occult author Taylor Elwood, former Mozilla employee Angelina Fabro, and of course, narrative explorer James Curcio. TechnoCult is actually now run by religious studies PhD candidate Damian Williams, who was interviewed uh, not that long ago by Douglas Rushkoff on Team Human. The downturn of Key 23 happened quickly after the upturn in social networking. MySpace, Twitter, and eventually Facebook ate into Mindshare, but also infighting, as usually happens, and exhaustion, which also happens, put the online publication in an unsustainable position. Many of the original founders left the group, and eventually I shut the entire operation down. I was the one that managed the software and the hardware running the site. We all went our separate ways back into the digital ether. Now, I grew up in South Jersey, which was a stone's throw from Philadelphia, and at the time, James Curcio was living in the city. He would leave but later return. I've always looked at Philadelphia as a cyberpunk city because of its many unique features, underground music scene, and generally middle-class feel. James and I would meet on two separate occasions in real life. Once, we would meet up with a girlfriend of his at Shampoo Nightclub during her Wednesday nocturne event. This was supposed to be a goth music scene but the music bordered more on industrial rave edm fresh off of a few cool kid key 23 articles i met up with james for some underground occult topics when we were both young thin and had the energy to actually stay up late at night back then i even still drank vodka the next time i met up with james key 23 was a thing of the past like i said it burned bright but it burned fast James, however, was fast-tracking a handful of transmedia projects at a time when transmedia was just being coined. Prior to his key 23 days, he was best known for having joined my cult, a mental case of a fiction story published by the arcane Falcon Press, and his ambitious projects brought him into contact with some experimental artists and well known storytellers. Eventually, James founded Mythos Media as a transmedia company, recruiting myself, P. Emerson Williams, and Rich Pizor with Ong's hat originator Joe Matheny actually coming in in a capacity of his alterati project, acting as a bit of an advisor. I later met James again at the famed Monks in Philadelphia for Muscle and scallops in one lunch while I was consulting with Pierce College. Mythos Media was ambitious in that, with very little funding, it was attempting to provide an outlet for experimental narratives in art and fiction that reflected higher-level mythological concepts. The original idea was the production of a living mythos, a modern narrative that adhered and assimilated to archetypes of myths that are ever-present, but wrapped in the ideas and the breakdowns. Of today. Mythology, you see, isn't something that happened in the past. Myths aren't stories of the past, present, or future, but are stories and narratives that are relevant and ever-present, always. Creation myths and apocalypse myths and all the myths in between occur on a regular basis and are rooted in the archetypes and psychoses of every culture and every human. This is how you can even have a hero of a thousand faces to begin with. We had no clue about how to run a business. Outside of Joe, nobody was highly skilled at raising capital or creating a sustainable business model. Most people were artists and creators who knew how to create a thing, but very little about how to sell that thing. In fact, our initial focus ended up on projects with highly visual components which raised the cost of printing and resulted in a depletion of funds rather quickly. Eventually, Mythos Media was closed as a media house, but James pushed forward with his modern narratives and held firm to the Mythos Media brand. I think the mistake from the outset was assuming a business view of what should have essentially been a collective narrative through myth writing, drawing, printing, and selling other people's work was never something that was going to capture the passion to drive a project. And James's work produced a thread that ran through music, podcasts, videos, collage art, and written word. It required a significant focus to invoke the energy necessary to shift the paradigm on such a mythological tale. Decades in the making, several books in production, James stands at the cusp of completion for a major piece of work, the aforementioned tales from when I had a face. Now, what does this have to do with the internet? I can hear you asking that because this is a technology podcast. To understand that, you kind of have to go back to the beginning and not just the beginning of this article. The internet was a shift into a new era where the virtual world was opening up new avenues of communication and narrative. Technology meant that the old gods were dying, and in their place a psychedelic menagerie of computer screens, digital companions, and left libertarian mutualism was taking place. The people gained masks in a world of Reagan consumerism, disguising their names and faces to reassert the mystic 60s on a digital screen away from the Alex P. Keatons of the world. As the old gods withered, they were replaced with the triumvirate of lands, labor, and capital, each with their own gods, each with their own stories. And what is our world but a reflection of the stories that we tell ourselves? Little do you hear of the triangle of free market progress, It has been taken over singularly by the spoke of capital with an obsession for growth at all costs, pretending that this is the only way forward. Take a pause and reread the synopsis of James's Kickstarter. Does that not seem tip-of-the-tongue familiar? If you felt despair in the last two decades, if you've read anything from The Dark Mountain Project, if you've ventured deeper into the more poetic creepy pastas, if you've struggled daily with the idea of sustainability in an increasingly climate-scarred world. I mean, you felt this. When the paradigm of the stories that we tell ourselves disappears... When you're far removed from being a hero or even a man of a thousand faces, the only stories left are the tales from when you had a face. Why is this relevant today? Because the culture in the first world is crumbling through transgressions, leaving us without our comforting myths of the past, leading us to a second world of modern-day mythology. This second world birthed from an exponential age is one of stories, technology, virtual worlds, and where everyone can be faceless.